Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Let me read it for you. And, and I want you to see not just what it says, but what it doesn't say. Sometimes you learn about the Lord, not just from what the Bible says, but from what it doesn't say. It says this, but God. Notice it doesn't say, but James McPherson. See, a lot of us understand that Christianity is about God and man, but we fail to understand it's mostly about God. Did you get that? Christianity is about God and man, but mostly it's about God. We like to make things about us because at heart, we're fairly egotistical. That's always been our problem. We're obsessed with self. I heard about a man who was so obsessed with being the center of attention. When he was a wedding, he wished he was the bride. And when he was at a funeral, he wished he was the corpse. He, he was so intent on being the center of attention. But the Bible doesn't begin with, but James MacPherson, thank God, or we'd be in big trouble. It begins with, but God, and then it says, but God, who is rich in mercy, not but James, who is rich in good deeds. Can you see here? It's all about God, not me. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, not but James, because of his good deeds with which he performed. The Bible is about God and man, but mostly it's about God. And if you can understand that simple truth, it changes everything about the way you see how we interact with heaven and with Jesus himself. St. Augustine said, within every person there's a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. And our hearts find no rest until they rest in thee. And that's the truth. Within every heart there's a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. And our hearts find no rest until we find our rest in Him. Which is why we are the most heavily medicated generation in history. Someone said, is there anything worse than not getting what you really want? And the truth is, yes, there is one thing worse than, getting what you really, than not getting what you want. And that's getting everything you want. Only to realize you still haven't found what you're looking for. We have everything we could possibly want. We exist in the greatest, most prosperous generation that humanity has ever known. Don't believe all the people that tell you tales of doom and gloom and talk about how bad things are. We in the Western world are at the peak of civilization. There has never been a generation as blessed or as prosperous as we are. And yet we still feel empty and depression is rife amongst our generation because... We've got the latest iPhone, but how many of you know we are spiritual beings? And you can't fill a spiritual gap with a nice motor car, a great career, or even a partner. Our hearts find no rest until they find their rest in God. But of course, people try to fill that gap with lots of things. And and people try to fill it with sex, and people try to fill it with drugs, and people try to fill it with all sorts of things. But, you know, probably the, the worst thing that people try to fill that hole with, might surprise you. It's not drugs, sex, and rock and roll. It's actually religion. I'm convinced more people will end up in hell because of religion than because of drugs or sex or any other vice you might care to name. In 1886, Robert Louis Stevenson uh, released a book that became a classic called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Have you read the book? It's worth reading. Robert Louis Stevenson was a genius. He tells the story of Dr. Jekyll, a very respected medical practitioner, a fine, upstanding member of his community. 
But, uh, but Dr. Jekyll really, he, he wanted to indulge his sensory realm and, and just to indulge his passions. But of course, whenever he indulged himself in bad behavior, he could never really enjoy being bad because he always felt guilty. And, uh, and then when he was good, he was always wishing he could be bad. And so he was sort of trapped and, and he developed this magical potion, which when he drank this potion, he was able to live aside from his conscience and he would transform into the monstrous, hideous Mr. Hyde. So called because when Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They, they hid themselves from God. And, and under his um, alter ego, uh, Mr. Hyde, uh, during the darkness of night, he would go out into London and commit the most hideous crimes. He would rape and pillage and murder, and then he would eventually wake in his bed, the medicine having worn off, back as the respectable Dr. Jekyll. He would get up, have his bacon and eggs, read the newspaper, and be shocked at the crimes that had been committed right through London overnight. And gradually it dawned on him that he was the one transformed into Mr. Hyde who was committing all these terrible deeds each night and he was appalled at his own behavior. He was so appalled at his behavior, he decided, I've got to fix this. I'm going to go on the straight and narrow. I'm going to stop taking that potion. But more than stop taking the potion, I'm going to start doing good to make up for all the bad that I've done. And so for the next number of months, he focused on performing good deeds he helped old ladies across the road he gave to charity he did all the right things when he flew on virgin he even paid a little bit extra to offset the carbon that was used and he was a very respectable member does anyone do that (laughs) he was a very respectable member of the community and then now listen to this because this is the key to the whole story This is where the whole Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing reaches its climax. It says that Dr. Jekyll, having spent months doing good deeds, sits in a park on a sunny day and he sits there thinking to himself how good he's been. In fact, he calculates he's better than most people. In fact, he calculates that over the last three months, he's probably done more good than all the bad he'd ever done. And so on balance, he's a better person than he ever was. And then Robert Louis Stevenson writes this. I smiled, comparing myself with other men, comparing my active goodwill with the lazy cruelty of their neglect. And at that very moment of that vainglorious thought, a qualm came over me, a horrid nausea, the most deadly shuddering, and he's transformed without taking any potion into the monstrous Mr. Hyde. In other words, Robert Louis Stevenson says there are two ways you can become a monster. You can become a monster by doing lots of bad, terrible things. Equally, you can become a monster by doing lots and lots of good things and congratulating yourself on how very good you are. People don't separate themselves from God only by doing bad things. Some people separate themselves from God by doing lots of good things, whereby in both instances the focus is on themselves. Some people rebel by doing terrible things. Other people rebel by saying, I don't need God. I'm perfectly good the way I am. In fact, I'm better than most people. God should respect me. And both are forms of rebellion that separate us forever from God. Let me talk about some differences between religion and faith in Jesus because my fear as a pastor is that many people sitting in churches have gotten religion and religion will make you more of a monster than you ever were before but the Bible doesn't talk about us getting on the straight and narrow and becoming good people the Bible talks about us relying fully on Jesus 
and his saving grace. Here's the first difference between religion and faith in Jesus. As we go through these, I wonder if you could do a little self-assessment and check your own thinking because I think it's incredibly um, common for people to tend towards being religious. And we've got to continually fight the drift towards religion, which is really just pride, and continually walk towards the grace of Jesus. This is what religion says. Religion says, watch this. It says, I obey, therefore God accepts me because of what I've done. That's what religion says. A religious spirit says, I obey. I do good things. Therefore, God accepts me because of what I've done. Can you see that religion is all about you? I obey. I do good things. I don't swear. I don't drink. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't watch dirty movies. I obey. Therefore, God accepts me because of what I've done. Well done me. Faith in Jesus says something completely different. Faith in Jesus says, God accepts me because of what Jesus has done. And because of that, I obey. Can you see that faith in Jesus is the exact opposite to a religious spirit? A religious spirit begins with you. And that's always been your problem. It's always been about me. And even in religion, it's all about you. I obey. Therefore, God accepts me because of what I do. But faith in Jesus doesn't begin with what we do as the impetus but rather what I do is is the result it begins with God accepts me before I did a thing do you remember before Jesus had performed a single miracle the father said this is my son in whom I am well pleased when the father said that Jesus was yet to perform a single miracle preach a single sermon uh, articulate a single principle of the kingdom Jesus hadn't done anything and the father said this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and the lesson is well taught God accepts me Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, I obey. And so my obedience is out of gratitude for God accepting me rather than the reason that God accepts me. Have you got that? It's important you get that because all of these build on each other. Here's the next difference. Religion is all about what I do. But faith in Jesus is all about what he has done. Now, Now watch this. If religion says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. In fact, he has to, he's duty, he's obligated to accept me because of what I've done. So religion is all about what I do. And so sometimes if you go to a church and it's all about religion, they just talk, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. Ever been to a service where it's all about what you've got to do? Before you know it, you're up to your eyeballs in doo-doo. And you can go to churches like that, you can meet Christians like that, and it's, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, and it's exhausting. Because I'm not doing half of that. And I don't even know if I can do half of that, let alone all of that. And so I'm sunk before I've even begun. This is why religion makes life even worse than before you went on the straight and narrow. Because all religion does is pile a whole lot of doo-doo on the doo-doo you're not even doing. But if, if, if you start with the premise, I obey, therefore God accepts me because of what I've done, you're making it all about what you do, and that's pressure. But faith in Jesus says begins with this he accepts me because of what Jesus has done therefore I obey and so my faith is based not on what I do but about what Jesus has done and therefore when I come into a church service I'm not looking inward but I'm looking upward I'm not focusing on whether I've done enough but I am resting in the all-sufficiency of what Jesus did at Calvary 2,000 years ago when historically having lived the life I should have lived he then died the death I deserve to die it's all about what he has done that's why we have praise and worship 
That's why we sing about Him. I don't have much to sing about concerning myself, but there's a lot to sing about Him and His greatness. And it's because of what He has done that God accepts me. Here's the third one. Religion depends on my ability to reach up to God. But faith in Jesus is all about God's willingness and ability to reach down to me. We're coming into the greatest time of year, Christmas. And of course, the simplicity of the Christmas message is that God came down. It's the most amazing thing. In fact, it's the only religion, if, you, if I can use that term, the only faith that teaches God came down. Think about every other faith system on the planet. It's all about us reaching up. Islam is all about laws and rules. Judaism is all about laws and rules. Buddhism is all about trying to divorce yourself from desire. Hinduism is all about trying to live a good life so eventually you are reincarnated in a better state than you were. Even secularism is about perfecting ourselves through science and technology. Every single faith system teaches that we must, by our bootstraps, lift ourselves up and somehow attain to a higher place. And we all know inherently it's impossible. Every January 1st, I determine to be a better person because I know I should be. You ask, well, how do you know you should be a better person? I've got kids. They tell me. So every January 1st, I determine to be a better person. And every January 2nd, I decide to put it off for another 12 months. Because I didn't need a church or a preacher to tell me I'm flawed and failing. I know that myself. I have turned over so many new pages. I have tried over again so many times that eventually I just throw my hands in despair and think, it's impossible. And every faith system teaches that we've got to somehow reach ourselves up to God. And Christianity is true because it's the only faith that tells me what I instinctively know to be true. It's impossible for me to ever reach up to God. You know, um, that's one of the reasons I know Christianity to be true. Think about this. Christianity is the only faith system that says you can never get to God. He's got to come to you. You know why no one would have made that up? Because it offends my ego. Religion plays to my ego. Religion says, well, you're you're better than most people. You're pretty good. I don't see why God would punish someone like you. I mean, you're not Adolf Hitler. Isn't it amazing how everyone compares themselves to Adolf Hitler? As if he's like the gold standard for behavior. You never hear someone say, well, I'm basically a good person. I mean, compared to Mother Teresa, I'm a good person. You never hear that. They always compare themselves with Hitler. How convenient. And, uh, you know, um, a bit, bit... No one would have made up Christianity because listen to what Christianity says. Christianity says, you can never be good enough for God. You can never get to him. He's got to come to you. No one would have made that up because it offends the ego. That's one of the ways I know Christianity to be true. Christianity tells me the truth about my life and what I instinctively know. I can never get to God. He's got to come to me. And the good news is that while religion says you've got to reach up, faith in Jesus tells the truth. He reached down. Thank God. That's why Christmas is such a wonderful celebration. Emmanuel, God with us rather than us with God, which I've tried. I can't do it. You know my favorite word in the Bible? So many great stories in the Bible. My favorite word in the Bible is in John chapter 8. It's a story about a a woman who's caught in adultery. She's caught in the act of having sex with a man, not her husband. She's dragged naked from the bed, thrown down in the dirt as the religious people stand over her, which is what religious people do. And it says that Jesus came along and they said to Jesus, what should be done with her? And it says that Jesus, here's my favorite word in the Bible, it says Jesus stooped. I love that. 
here's this woman, shamed, naked, thrown down in the dirt. And, and when she's brought before the king of the universe, it says that Jesus stooped. How many of you know we need a God who condescends to where we are? I don't know about you, I, I don't have any need for a God who stands aloof and afar off. The God of Bette Midler who's watching us from a distance. The God who has an academic knowledge of what it might be like to be human. I need a God who's willing to leave where he is, his high and lofty position, and condescend down into the dirt where I am and meet me where I am and then graciously and loving me, help me to start to rise, but because of his strength, not mine. And this is the difference between religion and faith in Christ. Religion depends upon my ability to reach up. I'm a good person. I do good things. Therefore, God accepts me because of what I've done. And I'm always striving. and It's an effort. But how many of you know faith in Jesus? It's not about what I do. It's about what he's already done. It's not about me reaching up. It's about him coming down. And so for the first time in my life, there's not striving and stress. There's rest. Because it's what he did. Here's the next one. Number four. Religion depends on my ability to keep rules. Faith in Jesus is all about God's ability to keep relationship. It's a big difference. Now now think about it again. I obey. Therefore God accepts me because of what I've done. Can you see it's all about my ability to do all the rules. And so if I'm going to be a good religious person, I better keep all the rules. In fact, it depends on me keeping the rules. Here's the problem. There's more rules than I can remember. But faith in Jesus... It's not about my ability to keep rules. It's about Jesus' ability to keep relationship. One of the great verses in Scripture, it says, even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Do you understand how profound that is? That my relationship with God doesn't depend on my faithfulness. It depends on his. Because my faithfulness is flawed, but his faithfulness is perfect. Have you ever been in a relationship where you felt like you were doing all the work? Whoever said yes, I hope you're not sitting next to your lover right now. Uh, Awkward moment. But uh, if you've ever been in a relationship where you felt like you were doing all the work, you end up feeling very insecure. It's a horrible thing to think that you might love her more than she loves you. Because where does that leave you? That, That leaves you on eggshells. You're constantly nervous about the state of relationship when you feel like you're the one doing all the pursuing all the time. But the truth is... Religious people live with that pressure and that insecurity day in, day out because they're pursuing, 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 trying to be good enough for God. How many of you know God is more committed to having a relationship with me than I am with Him? I didn't chase God. He chased me. People say, well, when did you find faith in Jesus? The truth is I didn't find Jesus. He found me. In fact, He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Do you realize how secure that makes me? I didn't chase Jesus. He chased me. Look, I've got to tell you, God loves me a lot more than I love him. That's just the truth. That's why to ask the question, do I love God enough, is a terrible question to ask. Never try and work out if you love God enough. It's an impossible question because how could you ever love God enough? It's amazing how many Christians think, oh, do I love God enough? That's one of the dumbest questions you can ever ask because you can never love God enough. So stop asking whether you love God enough and start asking, how much does God love me? 
The answer to how much God loves me is that he gave his own life and shed his own blood for us. If you're focusing on whether you love God enough, you're a religious person based on, well, I obey, I do the right things, I love God enough that he would have to accept me because of my love and because of all I do. And now it becomes about all you do. And now there's the pressure to always reach up and the pressure to try and keep all the rules when it's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with the fact he accepts me because of what Jesus has done. That's why I obey. And uh, it's not about me trying to reach up. It's about, thankfully, he came down and I'm not having to keep rules. He's committed to keeping relationship. God loves you more than you will ever love him. And it's a redundant question to ask whether you love God enough. Just focus on how much God loves you and you'll become the most secure person in the room. Number five, we've got 110 of these differences to get through. Religion, now get this, religion is motivated by fear. I'll show you. I obey, therefore God accepts me because of what I've done. I obey, therefore God accepts me because of what I've done. But here's my fear. What if I've not done enough? What if I do the wrong thing? So I'm going to obey. And because if I don't obey, then something's going to go wrong. Have you ever been tempted to think that the reason you got a flat tire was because you'd been bad the previous week? And some people laugh nervously, but other people, I've heard people say things like, oh, you know, it's because because of that happened and that's why God is allowing these things to... As if God didn't punish sin enough in Jesus on the cross, now he's punishing you with a flat tire because you told a lie during the week. But, But that's what religion does. Religion motivates by fear because you're afraid if I don't keep doing the right things, God's not going to accept me. And so I'm going to do the right things because I'm desperately afraid if I don't, everything's going to go bad and God's going to punish me. That's the exact opposite motivation to a person who's found relationship with Jesus. When you're religious, you do the right things out of fear that if you don't, you're going to get in trouble. But when you found faith in Jesus, you do the right things, but you're motivated by gratitude. God accepts me because of what Jesus has done. I can't believe that amazing grace. How sweet to set the save the wretch like me. I want to do the right thing I don't have to I want to because I'm so grateful and appreciative for God's love and grace in my life you know um, that's why when you meet a religious person that they can be doing all I've met some very very good people who are sour and bitter and miserable some of the most miserable people I've ever met are very good people but but the good they do is out of a motivation of fear so they're doing all the right things, but they resent having to do all the right things. And they're miserable in the midst of it. The only reason they're doing it is because they're scared stiff. If I don't, God's going to whack me. And then you go to a service full of religious people, and it's sour, and it's somber, and it's subdued. But then you come to a church like this, where we constantly lift up the person of Jesus and point everybody, don't look inward, look upward. And you get faith, and you get vitality, and you get celebration, and you get enthusiasm, and you get life. And what's the difference? In both groups, you get people trying to do the right thing. But one group is doing it out of fear that if they don't, God will whack them. The other group is doing it out of appreciation that God loves them regardless. And so the motivation becomes completely different. Number six. Religion, I've found, produces reluctant obedience. But faith in Jesus produces enthusiastic obedience. You know, um, I obey, therefore God accepts me because of what I've done. And I better obey because if I don't obey, He won't accept me. And I won't get that job. And things won't go right. 
And so I'm obeying, but reluctantly, because I have to, because I'm scared if I don't, he's going to get me. And so religion produces obedience. It gets the result, but, but it's motivated by fear and it's begrudging and it's reluctant. I'm doing the right thing, but I wish I didn't have to. And other people are having way more fun. And I'm kind of a bit resentful that God's such a killjoy. Was faith in Jesus produces enthusiastic obedience. I just can't believe God would love someone like me. I mean, it's shocking. I can believe God would love you, but I cannot believe he would love me. It's incredible. After everything I've done, and before I did anything to, to try and justify or deserve his, he just loved me. Yeah. I'm so amazed at that. And having freely received his love, I just want to do the right thing because I'm so appreciative. I can't believe Jesus would die for me. I didn't even ask him to. And yet he willingly and freely did it. I just want to do the right thing because I'm so overwhelmed with gratitude for what he's done. And so you get two people doing the right thing. One drags kicking and screaming. The other one just willfully and joyfully doing the right thing because one is religious and one's found faith in Jesus. When your teenager discovers the opposite sex you don't have to twist their arm to make them clean their teeth or do their hair or use deodorant he loves her and so he's willing to do whatever just because he loves her but before he loved her eh, he didn't care about any of that stuff you had to force it on him it's amazing how love when it's received changes the way you behave number seven religion produces unhealthy self-identity Faith in Jesus produces healthy self-identity. You know, um, religious people see themselves as morally superior. They become quite smug. Well, of course they do. Because their whole premise is this. I obey, therefore God accepts me because of what I've done. How could you not be up yourself? I obey, therefore the God of the universe accepts me because of what I've done. (gasps) And so religion produces an incredibly unhealthy self-identity You become quite smug. But what if you don't keep the rules? What if you don't obey enough? Well, then religion creates another self-identity, equally unhealthy. Instead of being um, self-loving, you become self-loathing. I don't obey. I'm an idiot. I'm a terrible person. God's never going to let anything go well with me. And so you tend to despair. Either way, religion totally perverts your view of self. You either walk with a swagger or a snivel. If you're keeping all the rules, you walk into church with a swagger. If you're not keeping all the rules, you walk into church with a snivel or maybe stay away. But either way, neither of those are healthy. It's not healthy to love yourself, nor is it healthy to loathe yourself. Keeping the rules makes you proud and conceited. Not keeping the rules makes you self-loathing and a failure. But faith in Jesus understands God loves me in spite of my flaws and because of my willingness to admit them. The only prerequisite for having a relationship with Jesus is being prepared to admit you're not good enough for a relationship with Jesus. The only prerequisite for being right with God is admitting you're not. Have you ever had people say, you know what, I go to church, I've met nicer people outside the church. I've met people who aren't Christians and they're usually nicer than Christians. And I go, shock horror. Think about it, the only prerequisite for being right with God is admitting you're not. Which means the better the person you are, the more difficult it is to admit you need God. 
See, there's two ways to end up a million miles away from God. You can be very bad or you can be very good. Both of them will take you away from God. The world says, try and achieve self-esteem. You know what? We're better off trying to achieve low self-esteem. Because when we realize that there is nothing about me to recommend myself to God, then I'm not trying to win his approval by my behavior, nor am I despairing that I could never have his approval because of my bad behavior. I simply realize, you know what? God loves me. Here's what faith in Jesus teaches. It teaches, and this balances our identity. There's really only two things you need to understand about the gospel. I'm so bad the only way my life could be redeemed is for God himself to die. I mean, that's pretty bad. I am so twisted and perverted. I am so beyond help that the only way I could ever be redeemed is for God to die. That's humbling. But here's the other thing you need to know. He loved me so much, he did. That's pretty encouraging. Now, when you hold those two things at once, you achieve balanced self-identity. I'm so bad God had to die. He loved me so much because I'm so valuable. He did. Now I'm neither walking with a swagger because I'm so great or a snivel because I'm so terrible. I'm living a balanced self-identity. I'm so bad God had to die for me and I'm so valued by God. He did. That is a correct and balanced view of self. You know, um, that stops church from being pretentious. It stops us coming into church and comparing ourselves with everyone else in the row. I freely admit, you know what, I'm so bad. God of the universe had to die for me to be redeemed. And I'm so valued by God, he was willing to do it. How amazing is that? I'm not comparing or contrasting myself with you at all. I'm not walking with a swagger because I'm so good or a snivel because I'm so bad. I hold both those truths at once. I'm so perverted, God had to die. I'm so valued, He did. Number eight. This one is important, particularly in this day and age. Religion defines itself by what it's not. Faith in Jesus defines itself by who he is. Now now watch this, because this will explain what happens in the world today. Religion defines itself by what it's not. Let me explain. If you start with the premise, I obey, therefore God accepts me because of what I've done. So, So what I do becomes very important. But here's the question. How do you know you're doing enough? How could you ever know that you're good? Well, basically, I'm a good person. How do you know? So the question would then be, well, well, compared to whom? So you need to find some people to compare yourself with. Now, typically, we don't find Mother Teresa. We find Adolf Hitler, and we compare ourselves to him. And then say, see, there's proof. I'm good enough. Look at how bad he is. And so what religion does is religion says, I obey, therefore God accepts me. How do I know I obey enough? Well, look at her. Can you see how religion defines itself? That wasn't a random example. I just knew. Can you see how religion defines itself? This is why religion gets really nasty. Religion has to point at someone worse in order to justify itself. And so therefore, I've got to demonize you because of your behavior in order to make myself into an angel that God would accept. And this is why we get exclusive or judgmental Christians. Well, if you're a religious person, you have to be judgmental because how else to justify the fact that God would be good to me? 
I've got to provide evidence that I'm a good enough person. Well, how do I prove I'm a good enough person? I find people that are worse than me and say, see, I'm not like her. I'm not like him. I don't do that. I don't have that particular orientation. And therefore, I now justify myself. And that is incredibly ugly. When you get people or groups of people defining themselves by who they're not, you end up having to demonize whole sections of the community in order to justify yourself. How many of you know that's about as far from Jesus as you could possibly get? But religion has to do that. Because if your premise is, I obey, therefore God accepts me because of what I've done, I've got to find an other to demonize. But faith in Jesus doesn't define itself by what I'm not. It defines itself by who he is. And so instead of finding groups of people in the community to point out as shameful, I just keep looking at Jesus and his wonder because it's not about what I do, it's about what he's done. It's not about me reaching up, it's about him reaching down. It's not about me keeping rules, it's about him keeping relationships. It's all about him. It's not about my neighbor and how bad they are. And so judgmentalism is about as far from me as you could ever get because I'm just focused and defining myself according to who he is. Number nine. This one is one I think that we all from time to time struggle with. Think about this. Religion views, itself, views, religion views suffering as a breach of contract. How many of you know life happens? And, and so at some stage, you're going to get a flat tire. At some stage, you're going to get sick. At some stage, something's going to go wrong. And... And religion, and this is how you know you've gotten religious. Maybe this is the most telling evidence. When something goes wrong and you get mad at God, because that's not fair. Why do we say it's not fair? I'll tell you why we say it's not fair. Because I obey. And therefore, you're duty bound to accept me because of what I've done. And I haven't done this or this or this. and, And I've done all these good things. And yet you allowed this to happen. That's not fair. And you've reduced a relationship with a person to a contract, to a deal. But how many of you know, Jesus didn't come to make a deal. He came to make friends. But if you're a religious person, when everything goes wrong, you immediately shake a fist at heaven and get angry at God and say, not fair. We had a deal. Here's the deal. I was going to do good things. And because of what I do, you were going to accept me. And I'm basically doing good things. So how could you allow that to happen? Not fair. Have you ever heard people who are away from church and they've gone away from faith because I just can't follow a God who would let that happen? I've met beautiful people who've articulated that very statement. How could God allow me to have a miscarriage? I heard someone say. And I'm not downplaying the pain of a miscarriage. But I am saying... When you react to whatever the situation was with that's not fair, what you're saying is we had a deal. But how many of you know we don't have a contract with God, we have a relationship. You know you've gotten religious when you view suffering as a breach of contract. Religious people have a sense of entitlement. Because I obey, therefore God has to accept me. He's obligated to reward me. The problem is that life rarely goes smoothly and the religious person becomes angry at God for failing to fulfill his side of the bargain. How many of you know, though, that uh, faith in Jesus doesn't view suffering as a breach of contract. It views suffering as death before resurrection. Because we don't have a deal 
with God. We have a relationship with Jesus. And here's what I know about Jesus. He suffered terribly. But after terrible suffering, he rose again. And if he's my friend and he promised he'd never leave or forsake me, then in the middle of suffering, I don't shake an angry fist and say, not fair. I rather reach out to Jesus even more and say, thank God, I've got a friend who's been through the fire, but came through the other side. And if that's what Jesus did, he'll do the same for me. Alternatively, if religious people don't get angry at God, they get angry at themselves. I knew this would happen. I knew I'd be punished for all those things. I knew that my life wasn't going to go well because I did all these things wrong. And either way, they get angry with God or angry at themselves when things go bad. But you know, that's not the Christian response. Because the vicissitudes, the the ebb and flow of life happens to all of us. But if you've got faith in Jesus, when things go wrong, you don't get angry at God, nor do you get angry at yourself. You just understand suffering is part and parcel of life. Who are we to think that Jesus suffered miserably and yet we'll go through life you know, untouched. If Jesus suffered, then we're all going to suffer. But after his death came resurrection. And so when I go through suffering, I don't throw my hands in the air or shake an angry fist at heaven and leave him. I cling tighter than ever knowing that death is what happens right before resurrection. Number 10, last thought. Religion places limits on what God can ask. I obey, therefore you accept me because of what I do. But there's limits. And that's why there's certain areas of my life, God, you can have this, this, this and this, but you can't have that. And the reason you can't have that is basically I'm doing more good than bad. So we've got a deal and there are limits to what God can have. But when you've got faith in Jesus, God accepts me because of what he's done. Therefore, I obey just because he's so gracious. How many of you know when it's all about what he's done, there's no limits to what he can ask? A religious person always compartmentalizes their life and says, well, God, you can have those areas, but you can't have that. And I will give you permission to work there, but not there, because a religious person is controlling everything. But when a person's found faith in Jesus, remember I said Christianity is about God and man, but mostly it's about God. And when you realize... It's God who moved. It's God who loved. It's God who initiated. Then who am I to put limits on what he can and cannot do? Instead, out of gratitude and appreciation, I respond, God, what do you want? If you would give everything for me, how could I not in return offer everything back to you? If you would die for me, how could I not live for you? You know you've gotten religious when you start putting limits on what God can and cannot touch in your life but you know you've appreciated who Jesus is as a person when you respond, Jesus, if you would die for me, how can I not live for you? And the only way to truly live is when you make the Christian faith not at all about you. You know, one of the the difficulties we have in church is we come to church and typically we sing songs about us. You ever notice that in church? We sing songs about us and how much we love God and how, how great we feel about this and that. But the truth is, Christianity is about God and man, but mostly it's about God. We come to church and we preach sermons about how we can do this and five keys to that. And it becomes more like a personal coaching seminar. And the truth is, Christianity is about God and man, but mostly it's about God. I remember a woman who walked out of a church service one time. As she said goodbye to the pastor at the door, she said, I really didn't enjoy the worship today. He said, well, thank God we weren't worshipping you. 
But how many of you know it's symptomatic of the problem we've always had? We've always made it about ourselves. That's why we do bad things, because I want. It's also sometimes why we do good things, because I don't need God. I'm fine the way I am. You can end up a million miles away from God by being really bad or by being really good. Religion will cause more people to miss heaven than anything else because religion appeals to the ego. You can sit in church and make it all about you. You can sing worship songs that are all about you. You can have preaching that's all about you. That's religion and it ties you in more knots than you knew before you went on the straight and narrow. But faith in Jesus takes the focus off of you, puts a spotlight on the wonder of Jesus and sets you free to walk not in fear or obligation but just in gratitude and joy and that's what makes a Christian life such a wonderful adventure that's what makes a Christian person full of joy rather than looking like they're sour and and annoyed and upset that's what makes us able to reach out to others rather than judgmental when we realize it's not about who we are it's about who he is I want to encourage you let's always keep the focus on Jesus the moment the focus gets on ourselves, we've started to get religious. And that will turn you into more of a monster than you ever were. But if we continually just point to the wonder of Christ, it's amazing how free and how attractive we become as we simply live in the reflected glory of who He is. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.